Well, if you would grab your Bible and turn to um, Matthew chapter 13, also on the back side of your bulletin, there is a, uh, there's an outline that you can follow along with. And, uh, and I want to explain uh, the flannel graph Jesus thing to you, because uh, <laughs> we've had quite a few people like, what's going on? What's the deal with Jesus on the front cover of the bulletin doing this? He doesn't have a face. And... Okay. Um, we're starting a brand new series, and uh, this summer, we're going to walk through this summer. And one of the things that we're doing is, is that we're kind of going a little retro, and we're doing a thing called VBS for adults. And if you don't know what VBS is, because not all my staff knew what VBS was. I know, it's amazing to me. Such a sad day in the church. VBS stands for Vacation Bible School. And where I grew up, First Baptist Church of Fort Smith, Arkansas, the humongous red brick building with white, big, tall, two-story pillar columns and this big, prestigious church. They had the greatest vacation Bible school known to man in our neighborhood when I was a kid growing up. And again, it probably didn't hurt that it was uh, 90 degrees outside with about 100% humidity. So anywhere you could go inside with your friends and hang out for about three or four hours and it was free, we were on it, right? Like white on rice. And so anyhow, every summer they would do this and it would all, and vacation Bible school was awesome because you'd all go with your friends, all go with your buddies and then you'd go and, you know, I was like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old and we would go and, and they had a big opening rally, right? And then after the opening rally, they brought, they, they kind of, they, they basically divided and conquered all those kids, right? Because they put everybody in groups, you know, age and, and gender-based groups. And, and so, and in those groups, you would do, like, um, you do craft time. So you make, like, popsicle stick crosses or crosses, you know, you glue them on, like, with matches. You could burn them so you have a real cool retro look. Or maybe you'd make a paper mache tomb, if that's what they were talking about. And Because they, they always were, had a theme every day, right? And uh, then there was scripture memory verse. You had to memorize your, your scripture verse for the day. They do snack time. I love snack time, right? Love snack time. Even today for adults, I think we should have snack time. Just my personal opinion. And this was pre-goldfish day, so it was like vanilla wafers and Kool-Aid, right? So you had the big mustache. You know what I'm talking about. So anyhow, so you do that, and, and then they would do, then they'd have a story time, and then they would have a, um, after the story time, they'd have a big closing rally. And, and the deal was, if you went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you went every day, you brought your Bible every day, right? Uh, you brought one friend during the week, that was your evangelism effort, you brought an offering every day, regardless of the size of the amount, and you memorized the scripture verse. You got to go on Friday to Crystal Palace Skate Center. Yes, you heard me right. Crystal <laughs> Palace Skate Center. This is pre-inline skates. This is back with the quads. You people from the 70s and 80s, are you feeling what I'm saying? Take me back. It's couple skate. Remember that? So anyhow, so, I mean, we would go, man. It was like free skating. And they would put us on the FBC, First Baptist Church, buses. And we would go across town to Crystal Palace. And, I mean, it was just like, this was like no stinking real. I mean, really, we get to go do this. It's free. And my favorite time besides snack time was in the story time. They would bring us in. Again, we've been playing basketball for about 30 minutes outside because you had always had an activity time to get the energy out, the Kool-Aid and the vanilla wafers you'd been eating. And they would bring you in, and they would sit you in front of what's called a flannel board. Now, my kids had no clue what a flannel board is. But let me show you, for those of you that don't know what a flannel board I mean, prepared to be wowed. Wow. Is that not a thing of beauty? Seriously, the, look how blue that is in the sky, the Sea of Galilee. Hallelujah. And they would do this. And I mean, you got to remember, 
I remember Nintendo when it was formerly known as ColecoVision. Anybody else remember that? Remember? And they had, like, you know, uh, Donkey Kong and Super Mario Brothers. I was, like, wasn't like the eighth grade for Super Mario Brothers came out. And, I mean, uh, you know, Atari 2600. So the flannel board was still pretty stinking cool. I still think it is. My kids don't, but I do. Anyhow, and so they would do the lesson. And the lady would sit down, the little sweet Baptist lady. And today we're not talking about the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go to the hills of Judea. And all of a sudden, we would transport from Fort Smith, Arkansas, all the way to the hills of Judea. Only with the flannel board can you do that. <laughs> the coolest part to me about it was this. And I'm still mesmerized by this. I don't know where the star came from. But how does it stick? <laughs> Seriously. I was like, that is cool. Because my G.I. Joes wouldn't stick on it. I tried, trust me. And I'm telling you, I've had so much fun with this this week. I, I have like every lesson. I mean, I mean, a garbage bag full of flannel people. It's been cool. The, the book of Revelation with the, the sex head of monsters, that's really cool. Anyhow, so she began to tell the story. And these are usually parables about Jesus. So this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to basically walk through. Jesus taught 40 parables. We're only getting right to do all 40. Um, but we're going to do 12. And so she began to tell the story of how the people began to come from far and wide to hear about Jesus. And again, how does it stick? I'm so amazed. Look at this. No tape. No electromatic. What's not sticking that way there? And men came. And women came from far and wide to hear the teachings of Jesus. And they kept coming, she would say. And even the children came because they wanted to hear. Boys and girls, Jesus loves the children of the world. And then they kept coming to all here. And then she would say, and they all wanted to hear. And this is where the Sunday school, VBS, church, if you don't know what the answer is, just say Jesus. 50% of the time it's going to be right. It's kind of like putting C on a multiple choice test. Jesus came. Jesus always had like his own space, I noticed. Everybody else was crammed on the one side. Jesus always had his own space. You know what I'm saying? And he always had like this. And Jesus came and he began to teach the children. Oh, I got some, some foliage here. Give a little three-dimensional. Again, it sticks. And he began to teach the parable. And the parable today we're going to talk about is a parable of the wheat and the weeds. Now, this looks like the Everglades to me, but work with me, people. It's what I have. And he began to teach how the kingdom of God is like wheat and weeds. So we're going to walk through these 12 parables this summer, through 12 parables of Jesus. And we're going to kind of look at this. I don't know if I'm going to do a flannel board every week. Maybe I will. be fun. But that's kind of the whole theme of the message. And so this summer, if you have perfect attendance, if you bring your Bible every week, if you bring an offering every week, uh, if you bring one friend over the course of the summer and you get your scripture memorization every single weekend, then you too at the end of the summer, summer will get a free pass to Crystal Palace Skate Center in Fort Smith, Arkansas. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was there last weekend. I flew in on the east side of the state and I ate my way through to the western side of the state. I'm not lying. And, and I checked it out. It's still there. First Baptist still there. They've got a summer VBS going on this summer. And uh, so we're going to give you that free pass. So anyhow, Matthew chapter 13. Some of you think I'm joking. I'm serious. I'm all about that. Verse 24 through verse 30, the Bible says this. Jesus told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, and the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? And the enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Verse 29, No, he answered, Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, Let them both grow together until harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, before we kind of get into the notes, let me give you a little bit of background on what's kind of happening here and what a parable is and all that. A parable basically is a medium. It's a teaching medium, a communication tool that Jesus used. Jesus spoke in parables like 99% of the time as we read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they chronicle the life of Jesus Christ, his 33 years on this planet. And a parable basically is a story with a meaning. And this is basically how Jesus communicated the the gospel message that transformed the world that you and I are sitting here today hearing. What's interesting to me, just kind of a caveat of thought, is how people today will downgrade stories. And that preacher just does stories, and he just does illustrations, and he doesn't really, that's the way Jesus did it. If Jesus did it that way... To the people, maybe we should do it that way too. Anyhow, so he did that. And and here's some background that you need to understand. He is speaking, when he says the kingdom of God, he says that the kingdom of God is equal to a, a field. And again, kind of an agricultural background, they kind of all understood this. But if you go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, you realize that God, when he created and spoke this world into existence, he did a process of what was called seed, time, and harvest. It's a principle that this world is founded on. It's as much a part of this world as, as the law of, um, of gravity. It's seed and time and harvest. Even after sin enters the world, God declares again, as long as this earth shall endure, there will be seed, there will be time, and there will be harvest. And this is a principle that works in any area of life. Whether you're sowing corn, whether you're trying to to uh, develop relationships, whether you're working in, in, in your business or in your job, that there is a seed, there's truth that is sown. And if that is nurtured and taken care of and developed and worked, and it's given time, that over time it will produce a harvest. And, and, and it should be something that's good, but it can also, Galatians 6, 9, and 10 tells us, it's also going to be something that's destructive. For whatever a man sows, that's what he will reap. So if you don't become weary and well-doing... In due season, you'll have a reward, seed, time, and harvest. Whether we're talking about actions or agriculture, it works. So you have to understand that as a background. Seed, most of the time when Jesus is speaking in in these parables, and especially today, seed is equal to the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the teaching of God. It's what Jesus was doing with these parables. He's teaching. And so it's the word of God that's being sown. So when he's talking about seed, he's talking about this word of God that's being sown. And the soil always represents... A life. So the field would be all of the lives in the kingdom, but soil would represent the life of an individual. It's interesting, Jesus does another parable. It's called the parable of the soils. And he says that the seed, the word of God, is planted on four different types of soil. But only one soil actually takes the seed and produces a harvest of righteousness from it. 
Very interesting to me. Because as a communicator of the gospel, as a preacher, as a pastor, sometimes it's easy for me to get frustrated, not just me, but anyone who does what I do. Because you go, I'm sowing this seed every weekend. This is God's word. I'm giving you transformative principles that can be applied in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, at your business, in your personal life, in your spiritual development. It's not just something that's just for the spirit, man. It's for every area of life, the Bible says. That the, the word of God is applicable to every situation, every part of your life. And so what happens is, is that sometimes I get frustrated going, man, I've talked about this, and 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 I've talked about this. But yet, why do most people not get it? Well, the odds of people receiving the message, the seed, the word of God that's sown according to the parable of the sower is one in four. Only one in four people listening on a given weekend is actually going to receive the seed of God's word, download it into their life, and produce a harvest out of it. So you, and ultimately it's up to you. So it's my job to sow the seed. It's your job to receive the seed. And so this is, this is kind of the background. Now, what I want to do with this parable and with these other parables, we're going to walk through this passage, and we're going to talk about what does he mean by what he was saying. Because, again, it's somewhat encrypted because it's a parable. It's a story with a meaning. And don't get frustrated if you hear one of these parables and go, I don't get it, because there were many times he had to repeat it over and over and over for the disciples. And you can hear the frustration in his voice. We'll talk about that. You can hear the frustration in his voice where he's like, do I need to tell this to you again? Do I, really, do I need to draw you a picture? Do I need to connect the dots, Peter, James, and John? Pay attention. I mean, it's like a bunch of, of fifth-grade boys in front of a flannel graph and trying to explain with a Kool-Aid mustache, do I have to talk to you like this again? And if you read the Gospels you, and you look at it from Jesus trying to take the seed, this kernel of truth, and plant it into their life, you can hear some of the frustration sometimes. Now, let's look at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. So these are a series of parables. He's... He's hammering this point at this, at this point. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. He sowed good seed in his field. Uh, the, the principle for us is simply this. It's our job to sow good seed. As Christ followers, it's our job to sow good seed. As a pastor, it's my job to sow good seed. As, as someone that attends Life Church regularly, it's your job to sow good seed. And I think we do a pretty good job at this at Life Church. I'm not trying to pat us on the back, but, but I really think because we're intentional about this. Uh, one of the major values, there's about eight, eight values that we have that really drive the, the mechanisms that, 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 that run this church is biblical authority. Everything goes back to God's word. Not to what you think, not to what I think, not to what a denomination thinks, not to what anybody else thinks. What does God's word say? Because God's word is the ultimate authority for our life. So we lean so heavily on the word of God that if it were to move, we would fall. Because what happens in Christianity, what happens in, in our society is that we begin to convolute the word of God and pull back on the word of God and, and don't really preach the word of God and, and, and kind of cut, we basically kind of take a pair of proverbial scissors to God's word and we cut out what we don't like. And trust me, there's things in there I don't like. There's subjects in there I don't want to deal with. Um, and, 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 and that's just, but, but, but Jesus said that, you know, of the word of God, that this is a seed. This is what produces the harvest in your life. And if you will plant it in good soil over time, it'll produce. So it's our responsibility to sow good seed. We do this pretty well because, again, biblical authority is something that we value. And how that fleshes out is simply like this. Right now, while we are in service, if you were to walk right across the hallway and see, go to the toddlers, go to the, the K4 and under, they're not babysitting children in there contrary to popular opinion. They are teaching them 
the principles of God's word in an environment that's age appropriate and in a level that they can understand. And so from the little guys, there's lessons, there's crafts, there's snack time, there's all of this, but they're teaching them basic biblical principles. There's, there's, if you really want to sit down in my office, I have about a 30-page document of systematic theology that they go through from the time that they're born all the way until they get through uh, uh, elementary. And you just thought it was a bunch of fun and games and colorful rooms. No, 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 no. There's a whole deal. Because we want them to understand basic tenets of faith. We want them to understand basic, basic biblical literacy. We want our kids to be biblically literate. And so we partner with you moms and dads as you're teaching them God's word. It's not just our responsibility, but it's our responsibility. So if you go, you'll see that. And it's amazing. The workers that work in Life Kids Early Childhood are phenomenal. I mean, they pour themselves into it. They love these kids, and they're speaking God's word. They're teaching them songs. They're teaching them principles. There's actions. There's activity. But everything is totally focused and zoned in on how do we communicate this ever-changing, this, this non-changing word of God. You go, you walk down to the other, other building here on our campus and elementary and, and you see, you know, an iMac bar and you see video games and, and that, that whole deal. But that's just kind of a beginning point. But right now while we're in here, they've just had live worship with a full band. They have had, they'll have scripture memory verse time. They'll have small group time where they'll pray and talk about things and download the message of the day. And then there are, they, they've got one major theme that they're trying to get at the kids every week from a biblical perspective. And they're going to shoot it to them in a gazillion different ways from live teaching to object lessons to video illustration to, to skits to everything so that they get the one thing. And then they get that little map book, moms, as they go home because we want them to download that truth. And you to ask them. I ask my kids, hey, what did you learn today? Hey, what did you get? When I pick them up, talk to me about what you learned. Talk to me about what your memory verse is. What did you get? This? Oh, you weren't really paying attention because you really don't know. And sometimes my kids are in three services. So, hello. So anyhow, it's one of those deals. And because I want to make sure that they're understanding and getting that. And again, right here, what we're doing. We're sowing good seed. We do it every week. We open up God's word and we do that. And so he says, it's our responsibility as workers in the field to sow good seed. Now, let's go on to verse number uh, 25. But while everyone was sleeping... That's us. The, his enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. He sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. Here's the principle with this. The enemy is always working the night shift. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. The enemy of your soul and my soul is always working the night shift. I don't care if you believe in Satan or believe in the devil or not. He's real. And the Bible says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and everything that are resulted except for the name, the power, and the glory of God. He is a real entity. Now, although God is so much more powerful, he's not even equal to God. He's not even in the same stratosphere that God is. At the same time, he still is the one who's sowing the weeds among the wheat. That's his job, to sow discord and disunity and, and problems and issues. So let me make this statement. It's not in your notes, but it's going to be on the screen. Anytime God does something productive, the enemy is at work to do something destructive. Anytime God does something productive, the enemy is always at work to do something destructive. Don't ever think for a minute, whether it's in your personal life and your business as a Christ follower or in the local church, that when we're moving forward and advancing the kingdom of God and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and lives are being changed and God is moving 
that hell is happy with that because it's not. Hell is angry. The objective of the enemy of your soul and of my soul, of Satan himself, of the enemy that Jesus is speaking about in this parable is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's what the Bible says in John 10. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's his job to, to basically to knock you off. I mean, he is going about any way he can. Whether you're on a business trip, whether you're on a family vacation, whether you're just in, in the confines of your home, whether, whatever. And here's sometimes what happens is we begin to think that because we're a church or because we're Christ followers that we're not going to have any problems. That we're on the good ship lollipop. It's a love boat, baby. Where's Captain Stooping? I mean, that's what we think. No, 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 no. Contrary, Mo Frere, we're on a warship. We're on a battleship. We're in dangerous, dangerous, dangerous territory because we are sowing good seed. If we were just sitting back on our rear ends and not doing anything in the field, he'd leave us alone. The field would just be dirt. But because of the fact that we are aggressively sowing good seed, he is aggressively working the night shift. And so understand that happens. Even in great churches, that happens. Over the last several months, last several weeks, we, if you, well, let me back up. If you remember, those of you that are regular life church attenders, if you remember, I did a message in the prisoner's blog as we were walking through the book of Colossians, and, and we talked about how Paul was speaking about vocational ministry and what it meant and what it's like on this side of the pulpit. And, and in that message, I asked you as a church to do something I'd never ask you to do. I brought all the staff all their spouses, we came across the front and I ask you to come and to lay hands on us and to pray for us. I also ask a board member at the end of every service to come and close that out, that time of prayer out over the staff. And I said, because the enemy has a target on your back, but the enemy has an even bigger target on the leaders because if he can take out the leader, the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs that if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. You ever wonder why when a pastor has a moral failure or there's a problem that when he is stricken, the church begins to fall apart? It's a, it's, it's a biblical principle that when the shepherd is struck, the sheep began to scatter. And, and, and there are times where God preserves that, but many times that doesn't necessarily happen. So I said, I want you to come forward and come around us and pray for us because there's a real enemy. There's a real adversary and we need your prayer. And we've seen over the last several weeks how because the enemy, not because people are bad or because they're weeds, but because the enemy is working the night shift, how he's tried to shoot at our staff. And I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be woo, scary, a devil behind every bush. But the devil's working the night shift, folks. And we as a church should be praying for one another. We should be praying for the leadership. I know that sounds self-serving, but I'm telling you, there is an attack of the enemy because we're sowing good seed. It's just part of it. Now, to God be the glory, God's working, God's doing, things are moving forward and, and that kind of a deal. And he always does because Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we know we win, but we've just got to be active in the battle. We've got to go out and like good soldiers, the Bible says, and fight this good fight of faith. So, just because there are weeds doesn't mean that God's absent. It just means that the devil is present. Make sense? Let's keep reading on. 
He he goes on to say in verse 25, excuse me, in verse 26, that when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. When you began to see the wheat, you're going to begin to see the weeds. And you'll see them. They'll make them, they'll become very prominent. And here's, here's the principle. In every field, a.k.a. church, there will be weeds. <laughs> in every field, in every church, there will be weeds. Now, this is just life. Here's another thing that's, that's a big misnomer in the church. That if a church is pure, there won't be any sinners. If a church is really sold out to Jesus, there won't be any sinners. If the church is really on fire for God, there won't be any weeds, brother, in the wheat. And to that preacher, I would say, I really appreciate your um, positive thinking, but you are misled and naive. Because Jesus said that when the weeds, when the wheat appear, the weeds will also appear in the field. And this isn't based on the level of spirituality. This isn't, well, if a church is more spiritual, it won't have any problems. If a church is more spiritual, everybody's going to be perfect. No, again, that's a misnomer of the enemy. That, 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 that's, that, that's totally false because with the wheat, you're going to have weeds. You're going to. It's going to be there. And, and people go, well, but the Bible says that we should be a church, that God is coming back for a bride. And they began to talk like this. Uh, and he's looking for a bride uh, without spots. Uh, oh, can I get a witness church? And without wrinkle. And they shake their leg like that. Glory to God. And they're true. But how we become the bride without spot and without wrinkle I remind you what Paul said. It's for by grace that we've been saved, through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us would begin to boast. We're not perfect. The church of Jesus Christ, until we are raptured from this world, will never, won't be perfect. I wish we were. I wish there was a utopia that we could hit. Trust me. I'm so much of a closet legalist, it's not even funny. I'm so much more conservative than anybody has any idea that I am. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's going to be weeds in the wheat. Does that bother you? It drives me nuts. Let's move on. How do you know then when people check the box on the backside of the communication card that they're really saved? Because we tell people, hey, you know, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, let us know. Check that box. We want to follow up. Make sure you've got a Bible that you can read, that you're in a small group uh, or a discipleship group that you can understand. How do you know? How do you know? I mean, because I'm telling you, I, I see things in people at Life Church that, you know, I, I, see where, I see what people are doing, and not, not everybody's perfect, and I know, and I heard this person the other day. I saw them at a restaurant. I saw them doing this. I saw them putting out their cigarettes on the parking lot. I saw that, da, 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 and that's just the board. I, I saw, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I had to go there. Right? Let's not even talk about the staff. So anyhow, there's a funny story. I can't even go. Not about the board, not about the staff, but anyhow. So... I have to tell this story. I'm, I'm already out there. There was one weekend, this is several years ago, where we had to have a, a person come. I don't even say what instrument they're playing, to play an instrument. And so uh, one of the worship leaders got this person to play and didn't really ask if they were saved or not. It was like we were in a crisis mode. Somebody said, I know somebody. I'll bring them. It's another band member. Anyhow, they showed up. 
And so between services, they were smoking their pipe out in the back. And I'm walking by there like, hey, man. And I see them on the platform. And I pulled, I pulled uh, one of the worship leaders aside. And I said, yeah, we probably need to have a conversation about that. Just, just maybe. Anyhow, so the, the deal is, is that at the end of the day, how do you know? Here's the answer. God is a judge and I am not. God is the judge and I am not. I'm not their judge. I'm not their jury. Thank God I'm not. God is the judge and I am not. Let's say that together. God is the judge and I am not. The only person I can judge is me. As a pastor, the only person I'm to judge is me. As a Christ follower, the person that I judge is me. Does that bother you? Yeah. Do you wish everybody would kind of get on page and move forward? Sure. Because I realize that God's word, once it's downloaded into someone's life, has a transformative power to literally change their life. And I see so many people that hang around the fringes and on the fray. And they walk on the ledges. And seeing how far away, how far into the world they can live their life and still be saved. And I realize that's dangerous, slippery slope territory. But I'm not the judge. And Jesus is telling them, listen, you're going to have weeds in the wheat. So let's read on. Verse 27. So the servants came to him and said, Sir, these are the people that sowed the good seed. Didn't you sow good seed in your field? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Then where did the weeds come from? Where did the weeds come from? And again, I can see, especially crusty Christians going, Hey, 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 You know, we're sowing good seed and we're doing this stuff. We're preaching. Then what about this person and this person and this person? And what about this? And, and, and I don't think everybody that says that they're saved is saved. And I don't think everybody that says that they're righteous is are righteous. And, and, and I'm not trying to be, and, and, but I'm just saying, and I know God's a judge and I'm not, but let me, let me help you with this. Every church will have hypocrites. Period. It, it doesn't matter. This is what Jesus said. These aren't my words. It's pretty simple. Every church are going to have hypocrites. If you meet someone and go, well, you know, and you say, what church do you go to? Well, I go to Life Church and, and Germantown. And, and oh, I heard the churches, and there's hypocrites in that church. You know what I would say? Yep. We have hypocrites. Matter of fact, pastor got up on Sunday and said, we have hypocrites in our church. Well, did he do something about it? Nope. Does he like it? Nope. Is he promoting hypocrites? Nope. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Because we're not rock'em, sock'em robots. God doesn't control you or me unless we willfully say, I lay down my life and follow you, Jesus. And when you go, oh, God, I got this, when he goes, hey, that's what you want to do? Until you come to the end of you, I can't help you. So go ahead on with your big bad self. Spin your wheels, make your deals, do what you want to do. Build your kingdoms. And when you come to the end of you, then you know where to find me. Would I like for everybody to be a completely yielded, palms up person, follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. Do I think that, that every person that that type of living would change your life? Yes. 
Do I think you would have a better marriage? Yes. Do I think your marriage would have a better sex life? Yes. Do I think, it's biblical, don't get mad at me, God created sex, take it up with him. I thank the Lord for it, hallelujah. But do I think your finances would be better? Yes. Do I think your business would work better? Yes. Would your interpersonal relationships be better? Yes. Why? Because God's word, God didn't just, listen, God didn't just sit us on this planet to frustrate us. He knew that sin and our inadequacies to deal with it frustrated humanity. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have salvation, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the here and now, so that we could live in this world, but not be of this world, so that we could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, so that, because we know that God is with us and that he walks with us and he talks with us and he has relationship with us. And through the marital struggles and the strife and through the problems with raising kids and teenagers and through business and life and economy, that he is the answer. And are we going to have people that get that message partially in Life Church? Yes. Are there going to be some people that want to take scissors to the Bible? Yes. There are people. Listen, it's so funny when I run into people in the community and they don't know that I'm the pastor and they start talking about Life Church. So I began to ask questions. Really? Tell me. I heard that pastor's kind of a, kind of a quiet, kind of a kook, kind of loose on the edges. Oh, yeah. I heard it's really bad. I heard he's good looking, though, but that's it. <laughs> You're going to have it. And especially in a church that's growing with salvations. People that are saying, whosoever will. So, listen. None of us are home yet. None of us are perfect. It's for by grace that we've been saved. So, let's read on. Because, again, this isn't sufficient enough for the, for the stalwart Christ follower. They want to know more. Well, well where, where do the weeds come from? So then they continue to ask, and they're asking the master. And an enemy did this, the master said. The servants asked him, then what do you want us to do? Do you want us to pull up the weeds? Isn't that our response? Come on. Come on. When we see it, we're going to deal with it. We're going to take some spiritual roundup and deal with the weeds in the church. Mm. What does he say in verse 29? No. No, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So what do you do with the weeds? You leave them because you may lose the good with the bad. You leave the weeds. It's not our job as Christ followers to deal with the weeds. Pastor, is that rough for you? Yes. I mean, I'm a type A controller. I mean, I'm like, let me help you. That's why I'm horrible at counseling. Please listen to me. I love you enough to give you the very best. That's why you can talk to Jim. Jim has the gift of mercy and counseling. I have the gift of fix it. Because within five minutes of my office, I'm going to go, no, 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 no. You're doing this, you'll be doing this. Here's what you do. This, one, two, three. Got it? Let's pray. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help them to stop it and do your word. Amen. God bless you. And you will be more frustrated with me. Jim will go, okay, but how do you feel about this? How does that make you feel? I'm not going to ask you how you feel. I'm just going to tell you what God's word says. That's it, done. Next. I mean, I'm, I'm just, but at the end of the day, it's not my job. I'm telling you, I've had to wrestle with this. It's not my job. Do I want everybody to be red hot, passionate for Jesus Christ? Yes. They want every home to just be in love with Jesus? Yes. 
Do I see things from time to time as a pastor that breaks my heart? Yes. But it's not my job. And guess what, Life Church? It's not your job. I know some of you, oh, we're going to hold the fort till Jesus comes. Oh, we're going to be that church. And if the church is pure, it may be small. No, you're jacked up. You're a bunch of spiritual weed killers. And you want to know why nobody wants to be around you. You want to know why no one wants to have anything to do with you. You want to know why no one wants to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because they don't hear salvation rich and free. They hear bondage. They hear rules and regulations. But doesn't that God, doesn't God have a, you know, there's a level? Yes, there is. We preach that. But God is a judge and I'm not. God's the one that deals with it and I don't. God is the ultimate authority and I'm not. So let's finish up in verse 30. He says, let them, this is the master, both grow together, the wheat and the weeds, until the harvest. There's coming a harvest. And at that time, I, not the sowers, not the Christ followers, but the master, will tell the harvesters. And notice, the harvesters are different than the sowers. That's not our job. We'll tell the harvesters, collect, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It's God's field and he's the judge. It's God's field and he's the judge. This, this is a very metaphorical statement according to scripture. Because he says, first of all, there's coming a harvest. There's coming a day of reckoning. There's coming a day where there will be a judgment of God. This isn't a Terminator movie. There is coming a judgment day. I didn't write it. It's what the word says. And on that judgment day, there will, the, the field of life will be divided into wheat and into weeds. Into Christ followers and non-Christ followers. Into people who bowed their knees and they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life and the people that didn't. And on that day, he will take those that are not Christ followers that did not bow their knee to Christ, that rejected the message and the good news of Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus, those that did that, he will take those and the Bible says they will go to hell. Now that sounds really harsh in our political world. But it's the gospel message. That the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have the ability to choose. Death, life. Hell, heaven. Jesus or our own way. But ultimately, our choices will lead to our ultimate destiny. And on that day, God, because he's a judge and I'm not, he will judge the righteous from the unrighteous. He will judge the wheat from the weed because he knows it all the way down to the seed that's been sown. He doesn't just look upon the outer appearance as we do. He looks upon the heart. And those that are not Christ followers, those that have been playing hypocritical church, those that have been playing games with God and laying on the fringes and living like the world on Friday night and mixing it up and coming to church and trying to live like Jesus on Sunday morning, he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And Jesus says that it will be said of those people, but I went to church, but I did this in your name, and I did this in your name, and I gave money. And he said, I don't know you. I have no relationship with you. And to those that are Christ followers that are the wheat that are left, they will be gathered together. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. 
And the harvest, the barn, is likened unto heaven. It's a place where we will go and be with the master forever. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is all about. A man takes a field and he sows good seed. And in that seed comes up wheat. But with the wheat come up weeds. And it's going to be that way. But there's coming a day where not the sower, but the harvester, the master, will divide the wheat from the weeds. And in doing that, will bring judgment and will clear the field. See, here's a closing thought. Our job is to believe the best and plant the seed, not play God and pluck the weeds. Our job as Christ followers is to believe the best and plant the seed and not play God and pluck the weeds. Our job is to believe the best, plant the seed, not to play God and pluck the weeds. Because God's the judge and I'm not. So if that's the case, the only person I can judge is me. And the only person really that knows if I'm a wheat or a weed is me and God. And if there's ultimately a judgment coming where God's going to judge, not the pastor, not the board, not the staff, not some special called committee, but God. And the Bible says every one of us will stand before God and every one of us will give an account for our life. You realize that, don't you? I'm not just standing up here every weekend just to try to say, oh, here's another great little talk for the week. I'm not a spiritual Tony Robbins in your life. There's a real eternity that's at stake. It's so much more real than the reality of our physical world today. That if we could just for a moment get a glimpse of what life is like in light of eternity, it would probably completely transform the way we live and do life. The way we spend our money and spend our time. And every week is kind of like a wake-up call. As we review the week past and we kind of reflect on what's ahead, we begin to sit and think, am I wheat or am I weeds? Have my actions been weedy or weedy this week? Have my actions been glorifying God or not? Where am I? If I stand before God just because I've done good, godly things, but if my heart is far away from him, then maybe he would say to me, depart from me. I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you that when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life, that just because you do a bad action doesn't mean that you're far away from God. But when you conscientiously take scissors to God's word, and when you conscientiously try to construct your own idea of Christianity and religion, and when you willfully go against what God tells you to do, the Bible says that's double sin. When you do that, you've constructed your own way to eternity, and it doesn't involve Jesus. It involves you. Why Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll guide and direct your paths. So I just want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me today. Everybody in this room.